Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 99. Hey, Richers, this is episode 99. I'm not going to talk a lot today before the episode. I'll keep it for the 100th episode next week. I do want to invite any of you that didn't go to our website yet, richormiss.com, to see whether there is any guide or online course that can help you on your entrepreneurial business success journey. I also recommend you to go to the show notes of all the interviews. I believe you will find in the website things that you will be able to use for your entrepreneurial business success. Today, we're talking with Eyal Fidel-Levy. I love this interview because Eyal is the first time entrepreneur. He has done stuff before that, but he is the first time entrepreneur that managed to build a successful startup from the first stage. And we're going to learn how together. Eyal Fedor-Levy, CEO and co-founder of Zen City. An urban planner and smart city geek, Eyal has worked with numerous cities to implement advanced technology and methodologies. In Zen City, he helps local governments around the world make better decisions daily by analyzing millions of citizens' feedback data points using advanced AI. Before founding Zen City, Eyal was part of the founding team of City Center Tel Aviv University's Interdisciplinary Center for Cities and Urbanism, where he led several smart city programs. Apart from Zen City and academic work, Eyal is a part of World Economic Forum's Future of Cities Advisory Board, a member of a U.S. Conference of Mayors Business Council, and the youngest board member of the Israeli Urban Planners Association. Eyal Feder-Levy, how are you? It's so great to have you here. Hi. Hi. Uh, well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Chayut. Yeah, it's great to have you, and I was looking for this conversation. I'm very happy to have it today. I just shared with our audience what you've done until now, and I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today, and where are you heading? So the whole purpose of what we're doing at Zen City is to help these weird organizations called local governments make better decisions. These organizations have such a huge impact on our lives. They manage our infrastructure, transportation, public safety, education, and so on. And they can really be the difference between you know, a good quality of life and a bad one. And today, it's really a challenge for them to be data-driven and measure the outcomes of their investment and really the hard work that they're putting in. So everything we're doing is focused in helping these organizations be more efficient, make better decisions, be more in touch with the needs of their community. And that's what we're passionate about. We've just uh, started working uh, in North America in the last year. Uh, we have about 35 cities in North America using our platform today. Wow. We're excited to 
uh, meet more and more communities. It is. It is exciting. Yeah, thank you. How did it start? How did it start? How, how did it come to mind? How did you start with the idea? So uh, my co-founder and I both are what you can call uh, government geeks. Uh, we both come from a background in both data and local government. Uh, my personal background is in computer science and in uh, urban planning. And uh, I've been asking myself these questions in, in different formats. In the last few years before the company, I was in Tel Aviv University running a research institute that uh, dealt with some of these same questions. And a lot of the work we did there We saw that there was a huge gap between the state of the industry, the tools that cities actually had on hand, and the ideas that we thought would be very impactful. So from there, uh, the idea to actually start a company that will provide tools to these organizations was, uh, was a, a close jump. What is the main difference between your set of tools to the set of tools that uh, most city governments already has? So one thing you have to understand about local governments is that the way they measure their performance or their success is different than a business, right? We at Zen City measure our success by uh, revenue. We're a for-profit company, so as our revenue goes up, if we meet our targets, that's a good thing. If it doesn't go up as fast, it's a bad thing. But in government, revenue is not the key metric. Sure. Basically, these organizations are, are looking to be revenue neutral. Um, they, if they make more money, they don't give out dividends to the mayor, hopefully. Um, they uh, reinvest that money in what they think are the most important priorities of their community, the most pressing challenges that the city faces. And the way they measure their success in those efforts is with measuring the satisfaction of their community, how happy people are with life in the city, with the services they're getting. So our set of tools is geared towards this issue. We want to help measure this super important metric and be very data-driven about it and not um, qualitative, not anecdotal. And then cross-reference that data with a lot of other data sets that are already out there that can really give color to the impact of the actions that these organizations take. So it's mainly about the measurement or more about the services that they provide to their customers, to their uh, citizens? We are uh, all about the measurement. Our key users are uh, city managers who are the chief uh, executive officers of these organizations, uh, like the CEO of the city. And, you know, the the... First cliche of management that you've probably heard and said many, many times over and over is what's not measured can't be managed. And our goal is to give these uh, amazing professionals the ability to really measure uh, the, the metric that matters to them most so they can optimize for that and they can uh, align their organization around what they see as a success. And I must ask, you said that you just started a year ago to approach the North American customers mm-hmm. or city governments and... Mm-hmm. You already have 30 mm-hmm. cities at your belt. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how did it come? How did it happen? What did you do? Because, you know, one of the most critical problems, or you can't say problem, that's what I challenge, learned challenge. in Nokia. Challenges. Challenges yeah. mm-hmm. is really approach your customers. This is the biggest reason entrepreneurs say they are failing, and uh, this is what this podcast is all about. So mm-hmm. how did you do that? So... First of all, our market is government. Um, and I want to start by breaking some myths around this, this uh, really interesting sector. First of all, it's, it is a great opportunity to work with government as a client. First of all, these organizations have incredibly large budgets. Uh, because they're in charge of so many critical services, they actually spend a lot of money. Sure. Do you know, for example, what is the annual budget for the city of Tel Aviv, just their operating budget? Can you take a guess? No idea. So, I know that they pay a lot of tickets there, but oh, I don't know. 
<laughs> so uh, yeah, that's part of the revenue sources of these organizations. But um, the city of Tel Aviv, which is a medium-sized city, about 450,000 people, um, their annual operating budget is $1.4 billion a year. Wow. That's an incredible amount of money. They uh, employ 12,000 employees. It's a huge, you know, it's an enterprise on any scale that you'd like. Um, and this means that these organizations could have the ability to invest resources in things that actually help um, their day-to-day -day operations. So first of all, one misconception is that these organizations actually do have resources. For example, the budget for the city of Boston, which we happen to look into, so that's a city of about 680,000 people, and their budget is $3.4 billion a year. And again, this is just operating budget before capital investment. Amazing. And a lot of other um, funds that go to uh, support their operation. So there are incredible budgets here. And what's exciting or what we found is that government is not as slow as some people think. So it is true the average sales cycle in our industry is about 9 to 12 months, which is very long. But we've been able to keep our sales cycle at about a three-month uh, average wow. so far. Yeah. How come? And that's because... Um, one of the interesting things is that you can, uh, when you work in a specific market, you really need to understand um, the regulation around it. And regulation really means a lot in government. And one thing we've been very um, good at is what we call procurement hacking, uh, or basically understanding yeah. what, are the, what are the areas of regulation where both us and our clients can move faster with signing a deal. So for example, in almost every local government organization, there is a threshold which uh, if you uh, price below it, you don't need to go through what's called an RFP or a formal bidding process. So if your pricing is uh, below that threshold, you can just contract with uh, the government organization like you would contract with any other business. And this is something that allows us to get our foot in the door and, and move uh, really quickly with uh, partner cities that are interested in our services. But doesn't it really um, affect your uh, revenues? So first of all, it's still, uh, you know, we still meet all the good benchmarks of a SaaS company, uh, which is uh, okay. which is exciting. We're, you know, the thresholds are in the ranges. They vary from city to city, but in small communities, they would typically be uh, 25K. Um, in larger cities, 50 or 100K. So there is uh, a lot of uh, uh, wiggle room there to offer, especially SaaS products for reasonable prices. Um, and, uh, and again, this is a, a great way to start working with, uh, uh, with, with a partner city uh, quickly and really show value. Sure. Sure. I think that you're bringing some kind of different thinking here, how to really put your uh, foot at the door. So I think it's a really uh, interesting way of looking at it. I would like to ask you, what would be your best advice to other entrepreneurs trying to make their breakthrough into interne the international world or into the North American market? So we did two things that worked really well for us in the beginning, and I think that, that would, that's what helped us build our infrastructure for growth uh, in the U.S. So first of all, we do all of our uh, sales and all of our business operations from Tel Aviv. We do everything remotely which is something very interesting when you sell into a hyper-local market like uh, government technology. But um, two things we did early on are, A, we used any connection we had to get that one first client. Uh, in our case, we, were, we won a, an award by a, a really a great organization called New Cities that chose us to be one of the most promising uh, uh, urban tech startups in 2017. Um, and oh. from, from that Award, we leveraged the relationship with the organization to ask them 
to introduce us to cities in their network that they think could be good partners as a first client in the U.S. It's really important to, for that first client to be, you know, a good partner and not just someone who agrees to pay you, someone who really wants to work with you on improving your services, on improving your offering. And we had an amazing partner called the City of West Sacramento as our first uh, client in the U.S. And, and that was through, you know, uh, personal connections that we had uh, through the organization we were working with. That's how we got the intro to them and had the chance to uh, get them excited about what we're doing. So that's one thing, you know, use whatever relationships you have to find that great design partner, that first uh, good client. And the second thing we did is we learned about our industry and saw where people uh, tend to meet and what are the main events um, on their schedule. And we, uh, we, before we had any clients, we just flew out to a conference of an organization called ICMA, International City Managers Association. And in one place, we met uh, several thousand uh, potential clients in, in three days. Wow. And out of them, uh, you know, five of them agreed to be uh, our first clients, even though we didn't have traction, took the bet on us. And within uh, less than, than a quarter, we had uh, seven paying clients uh, in the U.S. without any traction before. Sounds amazing. Did you work for this reward or was it any of your um, goals to reach it? Um, well, we didn't set it as a goal, but we've been, I've, I've been a huge fan of that organization. I've been following the companies that won that award in the last few years. And they all you know, went on to be very successful companies in the government and smart city space. So as when we had enough traction and enough of a product, we started applying. We didn't get accepted in the first year. Then we got accepted and won the award in the second year. So um, that was uh, something, you know, it was a, kind of a dream come true for us. Hmm. I know you've got successes because you, you already started to tell us about it. And reaching 30 uh, clients, this kind of clients is a real success. We'll talk about it in a minute. However, I would like to ask you to share with us, what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most? It doesn't have to be from the last company that you are part of, but it will be very nice to hear if you have any story of this uh, last year of uh, experience. Well, first of all, I think that the, the first thing that an entrepreneur needs to learn is to that it's okay to fail and it's okay to get no for an answer. I'm, uh, you know, I'm privileged and uh, to have been uh, to get a lot of what I wanted throughout life. And the company's experience being an entrepreneur uh, was, uh, you know, something that I had day in, day out to face, not being accepted, not winning the awards I wanted, not uh, uh, getting a lot of no's from investors, getting a lot of no's from clients. And that's something you really get used to after all. And I think that makes you much stronger. And, and if you, learn how to leverage all of those rejections and all those hard sinking moments into uh, learning moments, then, then they become super, super effective. And sometimes they're more interesting than the actually successful ones. I think one of, my, one of our biggest uh, uh, failures is uh, we had a pretty big uh, US city that we were in a great relationship with their leadership, with the mayor, with a few others. And we worked really hard to try and contract with them when we were very early on. And While we had a great connection with the leadership, the staff was not as impressed with our offering as the leadership was. And anytime you know the 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 offering came back to the staff, um, things just didn't move as as quickly and, and as smoothly as we'd hoped. Uh, but eventually they went to uh, a bidding process to an RFP to uh, acquire a solution like ours. 
And um, a big mistake that I feel like uh, we've made was that when we were finalists in that bid, uh, we were uh, we decided not to fly out there and do uh, the demo remotely because mm. we said this is our model. We uh, we do everything remotely. We do everything from Tel Aviv, and uh, I think that that call didn't go very well. Um, didn't manage to get our message through, and we lost what could have been uh, one of our most strategic clients and one of our biggest deals just because we. Uh, were very strict on our model and decided not to fly out there. So we learned since then we've been uh, traveling more for uh, strategic opportunities just to make sure uh, we get them. Uh, and that was a, a great learning experience for us. It is. And it's interesting because you said before that part of your model is to sit at your local city or at your local country and work from there to a totally different market in terms of, of the U.S. for now. Mm-hmm. And... Although most of our listeners are from the U.S., we also have a lot of listeners from the East and from other countries, Europe as well. This is a very good question. Why did you decide on a model that, uh, I mean, sometimes it can happen, but you are talking about a model, about a decision to stay where you are at your local place. Why? Well, to be honest, one of the... I'm a first-time entrepreneur, so I most of the things I deal with day-to-day are things I know nothing about. I've never done sales. I've never done you know, fundraising. I've never done budget management on this scale before the company. And this means that I have to learn things quickly to make what I believe would be the best decisions in this situation. And one thing that has been very helpful to me as an entrepreneur is all the resources that are out there on benchmarking uh, SaaS companies. And one of the Uh, things we researched early on is based on our pricing model, based on the target uh, market that we're selling to, based on all that, what should be the best way, to, the most cost-effective way to do sales. So basically, you have three ways to sell a SaaS product, right? You can uh, make it self-serve, right? When people go on your website and buy something like uh, Netflix or G Suite or I don't know what. <laughs> sure. um, and that is uh, the model you should take If your deals are up to 5k a year as a, as a benchmark so if your deals are small and your target market is very big then it doesn't make sense to have salespeople on your team it needs to be a product that can serve a lot of people really fast um, and, and in a very low touch way so that's one end of the scale the other end of the scale is enterprise sales if you sell for over uh, 50k a year per deal it makes sense to have you know salesperson fly out there talk to the client, meet with them, uh, have a long sales cycle and all that. But if you're somewhere in the middle in that range, the, there's, a, you know, there's a middle way you can choose, which is what's called inside sales, or basically um, doing uh, sales remotely video, via video calls. And that just becomes uh, much more efficient per salesperson. For example, we, our salespeople do four, five, six demos a day, which is something they would never have been able to do if they were traveling, if they had to meet um, each client at their offices. Uh, so this allows us to have a much higher velocity, and that makes sense in our model since our deal sizes are a little bit lower than um, enterprise sales on average. So actually, you took this disadvantage of being perhaps far from your target market and made it into an advantage. Exactly. Basically, we, we said, okay, we need to do sales remotely because this will be the only financial model that would work in our uh, specific market, our specific case. And then once we already decided to do it remotely, there are advantages to do it from Tel Aviv, there are advantages to do it from New York, there are advantages to do it from California. Um, and we chose for now 
because the company is still small and we really value our feedback loops between the sales team and our product team uh, to keep everything in one place. Um, but our sales team work U.S. hours. A lot of them are American living in Israel. So, hmm. so basically, that's, uh, that's how it works. That's a great answer. And I would like to ask you now to tell us the most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something that you did right about approaching your customers. Actually, you told us the first story about approaching the first customer. So perhaps you have another one to share with us. Well, I actually wanted to use that one and say that that was um, the story of how we got our first U.S. customer is, is I think, uh, a great success because... It is, first of it all, is. You can, you can leave it there. Uh, you, you, can, you can use the same story twice. It's okay. Well, I, I, can, I can tell a different story about how we got our first customer ever in Israel, uh, which was a little okay. bit of the same approach. Um, and again, one of the things that I can't stress enough is that, or maybe two things that, that are super important in this... Uh, Uh, in this situation is that a when it comes to first clients there are two things to remember a you don't have to have you know a product that's fully working does everything you know you want it to do in the future be be perfect and well aligned that's not the point where you need your first customer you need your first customer much much earlier to help you understand what are the things you need to build into your uh, uh, product so that's one thing you need to remember and the second is that you A first customer is much more valuable than uh, the ticket size that they will pay you. And for that, it's really important sure. to choose a first customer that is excited to be a partner of yours, that is excited by the vision that you have, that really wants to work with you on making that a reality. And that is so much more important than how much money they're going to pay. Sure. Um, Like, you know, scale is more important. Our first customers still have the lowest pricing that, that we offer. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and, and how we got our first clients is actually an interesting story. We um, uh, flew out to a conference in Barcelona, Smart City Expo, which is like the biggest uh, industry conference in, in our domain. And yeah. uh, we showed a demo of our product there that had basically mostly a front end. Um, so the, the visuals look good, but behind the scenes, we did almost everything manually. Um, but that gave mm-hmm. us an opportunity to have a conversation with potential clients. And uh, part of those conversations were with the uh, Israeli delegation that was there and with some of the cities, specifically with the city of Eilat, who ended up becoming our first client ever. And they're still the best partner we can ask for. Uh, and the city of mm-hmm. Ramadan, um, who are also incredible partners of ours. Um, and, you know, they, they were able to come there. see our vision, understand, of course, you know, we are very honest, very upfront about what works and what doesn't, understand that this is a work in progress, and we're excited to work with us on making this vision a reality and being the first ones to apply these concepts and make them work. Hmm. Al, can you recommend the best, most effective technological or digital tool that related to customer focus, marketing or sales, and I'm not looking for for the last shiniest tool in the endless list, but I'm looking for something that really helps you to succeed. Honestly, yeah. a telephone. Hmm. I think one thing that um, was really hard for me to accept as someone who is uh, very digital in, in nature and really prefers email and chat over talking to a human, picking up the phone and calling someone is super effective, at least in our industry. Our conversion rate when we you know, call someone and ask him, How's it going is so much better 
than our conversion rate via email. And that is an incredible stat. And that has actually become one of our most effective tools. We even founded a team that does what's called SDR, sales development. And that means that they yeah. cold call potential clients across uh, our target market. And they try to schedule demos with them by picking up the phone and telling them about what we do. And this has been much more effective than sending out emails or LinkedIn messages or anything else. Actually, you're talking about city governments. So your salespeople are just picking up the phone and trying to call them without even trying to schedule the phone conversation first? Yep. Cold calling. Wow. The good thing about our industry is that um, all the contact details are open data. So you can find the phone number for city manager's office in any target city we're interested in. And this allows us to have interesting conversations with potential clients and see if they are interested in our vision, interested in our offering. And if they're interested and have the time, uh, schedule a, uh, a demo to show them uh, what we can actually do. Great. You know, I believe that each of us has a few factors that help them gain their success. However, I also believe that at the end of the day, we have one most effective factor that really helps us. And I want to ask you, what is your key success factor? What really works for you? That's a difficult question, you know. It's hard to toot your own horn. I think that what's made Zen City successful is our ability to recognize the right kind of people to join the team. Our success is 100% because of the great team that we have, super devoted people, super smart people that really care about the problem we're uh, trying to solve and really care about the success of the company. And the fact that we were able, as founders, as managers, to identify the right people and to build the right uh, management sure. with a lot of uh, young people with not a lot of experience, was, I think that's, that's our secret sauce more than anything else. <laughs> and what is the factor that affects you personally the most? What is your key success factor? I really enjoy public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if, that's, if, that, if that counts or not, but I like talking in front of people. So that helps me share our vision in a convincing way. And I think that was effective for us in, um, in early days in terms of uh, getting people interested in what we do. Hmm. It's a unique one. I don't know if, that answer, if, that's a, if that's a good answer or not, but... The answer is what's right for you, and I must say it's a very, a very original one. I haven't heard that before, but it's a great one. Of course, whatever works for you. Basically, I wanted to be a guitar player most <laughs> of my childhood. My dream was to be a musician, but I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> uh, so I, I replaced uh, my opportunity to be on stage with, from a guitar to giving lectures, and uh, that's, uh, that's where I shine, and I think that been successful in translating that skill into uh, conversations, into uh, other situations. And I think that has been very helpful for me because confidence when giving a presentation is something that really helps with clients, really helps with uh, investors, really helps with getting people interested in working for the company. So uh, I think that that's been something that's been very helpful for me. Hmm. Great factor. My last question before asking you what would be the best way to connect with you is my mountain question. <laughs> and since I believe that all this journey in the mind of your target audience, whether it's the city governments uh, or the city uh, manager or whether it is the lady that has to uh, buy in the supermarket or in the grocery store, 
it's always like climbing step by step and I always imagine it as a mountain. Mm-hmm. And that's why I started to ask my guests whether they ever tried to climb a mountain or wish to climb a mountain or do you have any relationships with mountains at all? <laughs> and I'm speaking about physical mountains, not about the metaphor. Yeah, well, the closest relationships I have to mountains is that I ski in my... grandfather lives in Haifa, which is on Mount Carmel. And that's like the closest relationship I've ever had to a mountain. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'll be climbing any mountains soon. I like to take my risks in business and not in physical injury related issues. Yeah, I could say that you are um, uh, a kind uh, of geek, isn't it? Technology. Uh, yeah, well, the, you know, the most sport I do is uh, a <laughs> bike to work. But yeah. Uh, Maybe, maybe in a few years when I'm in better shape, I'll go climb a mountain. Yeah, and what would be the best way to connect with you for any of our listeners that would like to be in touch, hear more, learn more, or perhaps even ask you to come to their city? Uh, sure. So first of all, anyone who um, works for a city government or would like Zen City to uh, come to their city and help uh, make better decisions, be more aligned with community priorities, you never know who knows their local government, so you're very, very welcome to reach out. And of course, anybody who's working in the GovTech industry and the smart cities industry, we're always happy to connect and happy to uh, be of help or be helped by other great entrepreneurs. Uh, the best way to contact me would be by email. Um, probably we'll have it in the uh, notes for the, mm-hmm. sure. for the podcast, right? We will have the show notes and we awesome. will have everything in uh, every link that we talked about in the show notes of this podcast. Uh, Program, but uh, are, you, uh, are you a presence in social media as well or not yet? Yeah, very much so. You're very welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you're welcome to connect with me on Facebook as well if you want to hear my thoughts about Israeli politics. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, LinkedIn and Twitter are mostly around our, uh, our work in government and smart cities. That's great. And come, let's connect. <laughs> I would like to thank you so much for this conversation. It has been a pleasure. To hear this story, I think it's, um, there is a big fear of uh, enterprises and of governments uh, in particular, and I think you, you told us some very interesting uh, facts about it. You showed a lot of knowledge and uh, a very deep understanding of your customers, and, I, and you said by yourself that this is a key, and I do believe it's a key. I do believe that this is what marketing is all about and what succeeding in sales is all about. So um, it sounds great. I think it was very interesting to listen to you. Awesome. Well, it was super interesting for me to have the conversation. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast and uh, uh, looking forward for other opportunities. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.